Welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by. I'm Pastor Carl McLaughlin from Calvary Pentecostal Church in Euless, Texas. We're located in Dallas-Fort Worth, where 8 million call DFW home. Whether you're tuning in to Sunday or Wednesday's message, we pray that you will find words of encouragement. It is our mission to provide a positive and encouraging voice in the midst of uncertainty. I pray that you will be blessed by today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. We are so happy you've joined us today. This Wednesday, we heard from Brother Tim Jacobs as he taught the message, From Not This Man to Only This Man. There is so much wisdom in this episode, and we hope you are encouraged. God has shown his greatness to you. I, I wonder if we could worship him today in the midst of two or three witnesses here. I'm not asking for you to stand up and tell him what he did and what your sins were, but I wish somebody would worship him like the great big God that he is. I wish somebody here would worship him like you've been filled with the Holy Ghost. I wish somebody here would worship him like you've been forgiven for a whole lot of ugliness. I wish somebody here would give God the praise for how wonderful he is. I wonder if somebody would worship him for keeping you from some things. Hallelujah. Our stories aren't the same, but we've all been baptized in that self-same name of Jesus Christ. We've all gone down in that watery grave, and we've all had our sins forgiven by him. Hallelujah. It's not just a Wednesday night. It's not just a Bible study. When we get into the presence of the Lord, I love how you put it, Brother Donnie. I, I hope that God shows up and says, that smells so good to me. That sacrifice of praise smells so wonderful to me. That's a place where I can do great things in. If you haven't experienced the greatness of God, when an atmosphere is created, he can show up and he can do something great in your life. I hope we don't get too far removed from the goodness of God. I hope we don't get too far removed from the place that he brought us from. Then we forget what we used to be, who we used to be, where we used to hang out. I wish somebody would praise God in this place tonight. Hallelujah. This is the time for us to come together, have a break from all the junk in the world, to get amongst people where we feel like-mindedness with and just lift God up and praise his wonderful name. I wish somebody would shout the name Jesus here tonight. Come on, somebody give God praise right where you are. I know you're going through a storm. I know you just came out of a trial. But somebody give God praise here tonight. Somebody lift up the name of Jesus. That's it. Somebody praise God in this house tonight like he's been good to you. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If we're singing about how great our God is and a guest walk, walks into this place, I hope it's not just lip service, but I hope they feel our heart. I hope they look around this place and say, I wonder what he did for them because they sure are acting a little crazy. I hope they look around this place and say, there's a lot of people in here lifting their hands and lifting their voice all at the same time. I need to know more about that God. I need to know more about that goodness. I need to know more about that saving grace. I need to know if he did that for you, what can he do for me? Hallelujah. Somebody give God praise here tonight. Hallelujah. God, we love you. God, you're so good. God, you're so wonderful. God, I'm so grateful. God, I'm so thankful. God, you're so wonderful to me. God, I love you with everything that's within me. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah to the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I feel the presence of God in this place, church. I feel the Spirit of God here today wanting to transform a life, wanting to do something in our midst. 
I don't want to be guilty of just taking a service off. I don't want to be guilty of playing apostolic. I don't want to be guilty of just going through routines and motions. I want the conviction of God in my life every day. I want the worship and the praise of God in my lips every day. I want it to be who I am, not just because I'm in this sanctuary, but it's who I am at home. It's who I am with my family. It's who I am at work. I want it to be who I am so the world asks what happened to him. Hallelujah. 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 I'm so grateful for Wednesday nights for being together. I'm so humbled and appreciative of being here with you tonight. We have an awesome church. We have an awesome church family. We are so blessed. Somebody say amen. Amen. We are so blessed. Amen. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Worship team, you did a great job. Donnie, thank you for leading us into the presence of the Lord and all the singers and musicians. Thank you so much. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 18. I'm going to read a couple of verses. And while you are turning, I do want to extend my appreciation to our pastor for allowing me to speak to you tonight to bring the word of the Lord to you while they are traveling while they're with family, enjoying this time away. I know it's greatly needed. I'm appreciative of him and his leadership and his friendship. I'm very grateful for Brother and Sister Benson and the heritage and, and what we have here in Euless, a church to come to. I'm so thankful for all the years and the toil that, that they put into this gospel and this church. I'm thankful for my wife and my family for allowing me the opportunity to to studying to take the time to study so that I can bring the word to you and I'm grateful for everyone that's here tonight if you're watching online thank you so much thank you for being here in the house of the Lord Church to all of our guests we're glad that you've chosen to come tonight to worship with us want to extend that appreciation that's okay church we can we can thank them again thank you for being here with us uh, we do have we do have a gift for you if you'll meet us at our 238 coffee shop after church. We have a gift of appreciation to you. We can spend some time getting to know you, thanking you for being here tonight. I do want to read just a couple of verses in your hearing. In the book of John, chapter 18, out of the New King James Version, I want to read verses 39 and 40. This is Pilate speaking to the multitudes as he has Jesus there with him, and he's Attempting to decide, you know the story, he's attempting to decide what to do with this man, Jesus. The words of Pilate in John chapter 18, verse 39 says, But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Somebody say, not this man. My subject tonight, if you'll allow me to speak to you, is this. From not this man to only this man. If you would, put down your Bibles and pray for the word of the Lord tonight. I'd appreciate your prayers, Lord. I pray for the Spirit of God to move in this place. I pray that you anoint every word that's spoken tonight. Lord, as we go into your word, let us hear and let us receive what you have for us, God. Let the word fall on good ground, Lord, for the purpose of taking root, Lord, for something to be established in our lives, God. I pray that every hearer of the word tonight is not just a hearer, God, but we're a doer of the word as well, Lord. Let the word go forth anointed tonight. Lord, speak, Jesus, to us today. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. As uh, you can be seated. As we begin tonight, I did ask for a little bit of help from John. So as John is getting what we need to, to make this point relevant to all ages, uh, I want him to come out here and, and lead us in something that he knows very well. Um, as he is, as he is a, a very uh, well-versed in our children's ministry, I thought he would be great to play with some Play-Doh tonight. I know he's got the skills to do so, uh, but what I'd like for John to do is, is I know that each one of us have, have different 
things, when we, when we pull out things such as Play-Doh or different things that are pliable, we can build and create and, and show that part of who we are. And I know there's always something that we go into this thinking, we can create this, we can develop this. And, and it's, it seems so great in our minds, right? seems so great until we dump that Play-Doh out or whatever it is and we start working with it. But since John is a pro, he's going to have no problem fulfilling all the requests that may come his way tonight. So, so what I'd like for John to do is I'd like for him to take and create for me something very perfect, something very near and dear to my heart. I, I would like for him to take the orange Play-Doh, of course. I'm sure most of you saw that coming. And I would like for him to create the most beautiful star out of this orange Play-Doh that we have. And, and it can't have any flaws, and it can't have any blemishes, and, and it's got to be perfect. And, and it can't be just your imagination. I'm sure there's some star in your head that you have as a reference point that you can use, maybe that one, yeah, there you go. Uh, but I want you to use that and I want you to create the, the most beautiful orange star that, that you can. And, and as he's doing this, I'm, I'm sure there's, there's no pressure and there's, there's no worry and stress. He's, he's got this under control. And while I may prefer for this creation to be this beautiful orange star, I, I know that there are others here who, if you were to ask him to create something out of this Play-Doh, you would probably be searching for perhaps maybe a, a red color, right? You, you probably would want something uh, maybe in the shape of a sock, right? If it's red, you might want something like that. Or, or, or you might, uh, might want a big T out of it, right? Or, or maybe, maybe a big red bird out of it. I know there are different flavors and different preferences here. But, but whatever he's asked to do, I'm sure that, that you would want it to be perfect and pristine and, and to your liking and to your preference. And while you're doing that, John, I want you to grab another color and I want you to make me the, the, the most beautiful, the most beautiful box, a square. It, it needs to be perfect. Can't have, you know, it can't be a rectangle. It's got to be a square. It's got to be perfect, right? You can use some of these stencils if you want to, to help make that, whatever you be creative. I know you're good with, with that from the kids ministry that you're so good at, but, but I need you to make both. You can't drop the, you can't drop the, the making of the orange star. While you're doing that, you, you need to, I need you to make, pl please make the square, please don't, but make the orange star. I need you to, you got to do both, all right? While, while that is happening, you know, this, this is pretty indicative of, of how our life is. We have so many things available to us. We have so many options that are available to us in a myriad of different things. And out of those options, we start to develop preferences. I know there are preferences here for different energy drinks. And we have different camps of, of do, you, do you drink an energy drink or do you not drink an energy drink? Or, or do you drink coffee or do you drink tea? And, and, and uh, okay, while you're doing that, I need it to be perfect. It can't have any blemishes. Like, I need you to go back to that star and fix it. And I need you to make that square. Where's the square? I, I didn't ask for an L on it. I need you to follow instructions. I need, I need to be obedient, follow instructions. I need to put an L on it. Nobody asked for that. But what happens when we're trying to have preferences and decision making and we're trying to pick these different things out, we, we find ourselves getting picky, don't we? We get real picky at different things. We get real picky at the things that we eat. We get real picky because, and, we, and we get divided sometimes in what camp we're in. Are you in Apple camp or Android camp, right? And you, get, and you, can, you can get real real stuck in, your, in your, your beliefs in some of these things, right? Is it, is it Cane's or is it Chick-fil-A? Is it Whataburger or is it In-N-Out, right? Is it sweet tea or unsweet tea? Is it coffee with creamer or not, right? You can get, where's my square, man? <laughs> okay, I need you to get back to the, the star is not perfect. I need it to be perfect. All right, while you're doing that, I need you to grab another color. All right, I need you to make, make a big, I need you to make a big circle, right? It needs to be perfect. This, that star is not perfect. I need it to be perfect. I need you to do all these things at one time, right? I need you to do it quick. I need you to do it right now. I need you to do it. Okay, keep going. But what, but what winds up happening is we get real picky, and we start picking and choosing, and, and then we start looking around at different preferences, and we start trying to find connections with our preferences. I'm sure that's how he teaches the kids to do it, too. He's just, he's just showing off right now. It's not perfect. I need it to be perfect. I need, it, I need it to be exactly like I described to you, right? Which was make a square that's perfect, a circle that's perfect, and an orange star that's perfect. It's not perfect. Keep working on it. Right? But we, we find these camps that we've got to get in, and we find these groups that we've got to attach our, ourselves to. And once we find that like-mindedness, what do we do? Well, if you like Keynes and I like Keynes, let's go to Keynes. And, and let's, 
but I don't like Canes. I don't know why I use that. That's not a good example. I like Chick-fil-A. Let's go to Chick-fil-A, right? So let's go to Chick-fil-A, right? You like purple squares. I like purple squares. Let's, let's not just have the two of us. Let's go, let's go find somebody else that likes purple squares. Now, why do we even like purple squares in the first place? Why do we like orange stars or red socks or, or red tees or blue tees? Why, why do we even like that in the first place? Where did this even come from? Where, where did it even come from liking Apple over Android or, or liking, liking one thing over another? Where did this come from? If we start trying to figure this out, we'll probably say, I have no idea where this started. Maybe in some areas we will, but some degree, what are you doing? <laughs> so, to some degree, we'll realize we have no idea where these preferences came from. Or maybe we'll stop ourselves and we'll say, you know what, I remember this influence in my life. I remember this individual in my life influenced me to drink my coffee without sugar, without creamer, like God intended it, right? That, that's beautiful. It was just a straight black cup of coffee like the Lord intended it to be, right? As we start understanding the choices and the options that we have for us, we realize that, that things like technology are making it a whole lot easier for us to make decisions or, or to have lots of options at our fingertips. It's easy to not wait on something and get real impatient by getting on an app and having it here overnighted, right? By the time I wake up, it's at my front door. Or now you can actually have your groceries, not just ordered online, not just delivered to your house, but brought into your house and your shelves stocked by somebody else. Right, technology is making it super easy for these things to happen. And, and often we, we find ourselves in these preferences and we find ourselves choosing this pickiness because we've been influenced. And oftentimes that influence has come where we're trying to fit in with this group. We're trying to appease somebody else or we're trying to find this like-mindedness with someone else because we want to be accepted. We want to not only be accepted, but the more that that we work at this, the more that we attempt to make it what it's supposed to be, we realize that we're trying to please other people. You see, I'm sure we've all heard this before. There's not a single person on earth who can please everyone. Maybe we have heard it, we believe it, but we don't act on it. I know you say that, but I'm still going to try to please everybody. I know you say that, but I still want to be liked and accepted by everyone. We try really, really hard to be liked, to be accepted, to please other people, often to our detriment. And it's understandable because there's this pull from our self-esteem, from our self-worth. There's this pull from our peace of mind that says, if I can just be liked, if I can just be accepted, if I can just please this group that I'm around, then something can be rectified in my mind and I can have peace. The belief in some of us that someone doesn't like us can have some very dangerous psychological effects. Some of these are very well documented from studies and experiences in medical and psychology journals and publications. And here's a few that I found. If you try to please everyone, and you go above and beyond, and you have this obsessive need to please everyone, you'll find you have increased stress and anxiety. You have stress and anxiety? Good. You can have developed boundary issues and codependency. Now, one time did, did John tell me no. Now, one time did he tell me he was overworked, or he had too much on his plate, or he couldn't do this or he was maxed out. Something else that's dangerous is you can burn out, you can overcommit. Another dangerous psychological effect is social alienation and isolation. Inhibition of personal growth because we're so attached to pleasing somebody else that we completely abandon anything that's healthy in our own life, even personal growth, and that's a dangerous place to be. If we get into this dangerous situation, we can have identity diffusion and loss of authenticity. By trying so hard to please other people, we can look back and realize that we don't even know who we are anymore. We don't even recognize ourselves because for such a long time, we've done nothing but try to please others 
are trying to change things about us by trying to wear the right clothes, eat at the right places, have the, have the right vehicle, have the, have the right financial situation, and we can get ourselves in this place where we completely lose who God asked us to be. Why don't you all give John a hand? He's diligently working here. Why do we do this? Why do we get sucked into this behavior that is pervasive in our lives and is so hard to get unstuck and to remove ourselves from this constant attempt to please everyone? I believe there are many reasons for this behavior, and, and we're not going to go through all those things tonight, but I believe there are many reasons from, from some, some of our personalities are designed and developed, and, and we just can't help but reach out. We just can't help but try to please other people. It is something inside of us and how are we designed. And, and some, it could be our environmental things on how we were raised that, that push us into this mode. Some of us, it's just our developmental stage, our age. It's true, it's higher at a younger age where we're trying to fit in and please other people and we're trying to change things and fix our hair a certain way or cut it short or, or leave it long or, or, or wear this or don't wear that or, or have one of those mugs that they've got running around with now. What are they called? Stanley mugs, right? Oh, you've got a Stanley mug? I don't know why I need a Stanley mug. You just got one, so i got to have one just so everybody has a Stanley mug. I don't even know why they have them. We do this, don't we? Right? We go through these things where we, where we change things about us. We spend money. We, we, we spend mental energy. We, we stress over, over are they going to like me when I show up to this event? Am I going to fit in? Why did Pilate behave this way? Pilate in our story here behaves this way in the midst of Jesus, in the midst of a man on death row in Barabbas, in the midst of this angry mob that was that was beaten down the door and that was thirsty for blood. Why did he behave this way when he had the power to make the decision? Perhaps he was trying to play both sides of the crowd. He was going to be in the middle and I'm going to appease both sides and I'm just going to do just enough so that I'm not really taking a stand on this side and I'm not really taking a stand on this side but maybe I'm just going to do a little bit so this crowd is appeased and, and this group is appeased. Maybe he was attempting to appear just and courageous. Well I find, he said, I find no fault in him. He's, he's a good guy to me. I, I don't see any reason why so if you are the ones who are giving this order for him to be crucified, then it's, it's not me. It's, it's definitely on you because I am just and I am courageous for, for letting someone go. And, and it's not this man, but maybe he was trying to appear that way for the history books. Maybe he was just looking out for his own skin and thinking, if somebody's getting the blame for this, it's not going to be me. So I want to do anything I can verbally, anything I can with my actions and my decisions to make sure that I look out for myself. In addition to him, we find instances in Scripture like King Saul of people who were trying to please other people, doing everything even to their own demise. What about King Saul? He tried to please the people. He tried to justify his own disobedience in 1 Samuel chapter 15. It came back to haunt him. When Samuel said, in order to, to, to uh, fix what you have done, then God is going to pull the kingdom from you. This, this is it. You did not do the right thing in trying to please yourself, trying to please the people. Maybe we do this because there have been times we've looked around and wondered, why in an event for a project, a role, a leadership position, a blessing financially, why would someone with such flaws and deficiencies in their character be chosen instead of me because I'm faithful, I'm committed, I don't have character issues? Why did they get that role? Why did they get that blessing? And when we see these type of things, it, it causes us to evaluate and judge situations from the outside, questioning the decision-making and our own behaviors. Well, if this is the type of behavior that gets awarded, then how should I act? In our own home with our children, if they see their sibling behaving a certain way, well, if this type of behavior gets rewarded, then let me act that way and I'll get the reward. We do it at work. If that type of behavior gets rewarded, then let me do it and get the reward. 
It's a type of behavior that, that says to my boss, I'll work 80 hours a week and weekends and I'll miss church and, and I'll forego family life and I'll forget these commitments for my personal self and development. And, but, but I'm going to work so that the boss can see that then I'll get chosen for the project and I'll get the promotion. If you look around a church environment, I know this one's not perfect and yet they got put over this particular area in the church. Well, maybe I should behave that way. Maybe I should act that way. And so we start changing. We, we conclude that is how we should act and that is who we should be. So instead of remaining true to what God has called us to, to our authenticity and who he is, and we start bending and, sh and shaping our own selves and, and taking the chisel out of God's hand, taking the, the molding clay out of his hand and say, I, I think I can do a better job. If Jesus couldn't please everyone, whether it was this angry mob or one of his own disciples or the rich young ruler, what makes us so special that we believe that we can please everybody? What makes you and I so different from Jesus that we believe we can make everyone like us? We can please everyone. I would ask you who you're trying to please. Who are you trying to shape your life after? Who are you trying to fit in with? What group, what environment, what situation are you trying so diligently and so hard to make sure that you don't stick out? Who are those people? Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. He talked about the group of people that were in that world, in that culture. He talked about the individuals that Timothy would have to be witnessing to, that Timothy would have to teach Bible studies to, or, or that Timothy would be maybe involved in ministry with. Timothy, these are the type of people that I want to talk to you about. He says, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. He is proud. He is knowing nothing. But doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of, what does it say? Corrupt mind and destitute of the truth, supposing the gain is godliness from such Please, when you run across these people, please them. When you run across these people, try to fit in with them. Is that what he said? When you run across these people at work who are making decisions, they have a corrupt mind, I want you to feel that peer pressure, Timothy, and I want you to make sure that you change who you are so that you fit in with this group. Is that what he said? He said, from such, withdraw yourself. This is how you're going to be. I can't be like that. If this is how you're going to act, if your mind has been corrupted, if you've abandoned, if you've been destitute of the truth, then I can't be like that. He said one of the examples here is that they have strifes of words. It means that they take the word and they change it. They take the word and they make this subtle little nuance and they change it. And then they want to argue about it. And then they want to have disagreements. And then they want to fight with you about it. Who in our culture are, is doing that today? Our world, our, our culture is exactly this description. You want to fit in with people who have corrupt minds? Are you trying so hard, having been filled with the Holy Ghost, having been separated from the world, and yet there's something oddly and strangely attractive to some people who say, you know what, i got to fit in with them. But what you don't know underneath is that there's some corrupt minds going on. What you don't know underneath is that there's envy and there's strife. What you don't know, what you don't see underneath is that there's an abandoning of the truth. You're trying so hard to fit in with these people. And Timothy, I'm telling you, Calvary, God is telling us we need to withdraw ourselves from these people. We, we can't try so hard to look like them because maybe they got a blessing over here. Or maybe it feels like they're getting something over here that we're not. Why do they get these opportunities? Why is this happening in their lives? Why is this happening in their churches? He said, you know what? You don't know what's underneath, so you need to withdraw yourself. Some things in our world that we, we try so hard to, to be around are, are people who are doing this exact same thing. Has, 
have we even seen? Have you even, have you even taken your head up and, and lifted up your eyes and looked at what's going on in our world? Have we seen the types of people that are given attention and promotion in our culture? Moms and dads, I ask you, have you seen these types of people who are going to be on ads for products or who are creating the music that people listen to? Today, those that are given attention and being promoted in our culture are men parading around as women. They're being paid millions with deals through products and companies for advertising. And yeah, we want those products. And yet these are the people that are being promoted for that. There are parents of children allowing them to decide their gender at a very young age, and those people are being applauded by our culture. Some of the top songs this year, I Googled it, I don't know anything about this. Some of, this, some of the top songs this year, don't, please don't go look them up. I didn't listen to them, but they're obviously not good after I read some of these descriptions, you'll understand what I'm saying. But some of the top songs this year, are described as this. When I, I, I saw the title of the song, but then I said, all right, what does that mean? What is it about, right? Just give me a quick description. What's it about? One of the top songs is described as representing the power of you. The song is promoting how great you are, how wonderful you are. You have the power. You, you should be exalted. It's a me monster in this song. Me, 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 me. You, you are the one that's, that's great at everything. You are the one that has everything that you need within, within you. Another description of a song that's popular right now is about a female assassin embarking on revenge due to obsessive love. It sounds silly, doesn't it? It sounds crazy. It does. To us, it sounds a little bizarre, but the people that you're trying to please and fit in with in the world, if that's what you're doing, that's pumped into their ears all day long. These are the kind of things they're listening to. And then you go out from here and you say, I want to be like you. I want to be around you. I want to please you. And yet that's what's getting pumped into their head. Is that something you want pumped into your head? How about one that says they are dealing with emotional pain by pursuing hedonism? This is a top song going on right now in our world. This is stuff that's being filtered in and probably not just in the AirPods of of young ones and different ones, but probably in restaurants that we go to, in different stores, it's probably filtering through there as well. But what we need to realize is that if we stop and take a look at who we are and examine our motives and who we're truly trying to please, why in the world would it be this world? Why in the world would we be trying to please culture when everything that God has done for me creates me to be separated from this world, creates me to not be like them, he creates me to not be involved in all of that stuff. Because when lust had conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. And I don't want to be dead, man, walking around. I don't want to be dead on the inside with no hope of tomorrow. I don't want to try to please other people. I want them to know there's something different about me. I want to know when they're hurt and dealing with pain. I want to know when they think it's all about them, it's really not, it's all about him. I want them to know that there's a place they can go when they're hurt, when they're broken, when they're at the end of their rope. And if I'm trying so hard to please them, I can't be like him. We can't have that mentality. I know that there are people in our families, at work, our classmates, I know there are different ones. They, they support these twisted beliefs. They're maybe not in your face advocating certain things, and maybe they are. But I think the church today should respond with a resounding no, that we're not trying to please them, and we're not trying to be like them. You see, they try to chalk it up with this word preferences. I prefer an orange star, you prefer a red sock. That's okay, we just have our preferences and we'll move on. It's fine when we're talking about baseball teams, but it's not fine when we're talking about sin issues. It's not fine when we're talking about morality issues and ethical issues. It's not fine when we're talking about damaging another generation for years to come. It's not right when they're trying to talk about tear down this wall and tear down that wall. It's not right when it's trying to talk about, you know, let's just slip this in unnoticed. Let's just come at it from this angle. Let's just call it something else. Let's add some stripes of words. Let's just call it something else so the impact isn't as hard. I'm here to tell, tell the devil, no, it's not happening in the church of the living God today. It's not happening at Calvary. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. 
They're, they're, trying, they're trying to promote a rebellion against authority, and I'm not having it. This is our authority today, and it doesn't matter how hard this world gets. I'm living by the authority of the gospel. Hallelujah. We are literally, and I'm sure some of you know what I'm talking about, but we are literally worshiping at a different altar. If you've seen some of the things promoted in certain aspects of Hollywood and the music industry, there's literally worship at altars today. We're worshiping at a different altar. And do you want to be worshiping next to an altar that you're just trying to please somebody else? Oh, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go to that altar with you. You really want to go to that altar? Do you really want to get around that altar? When you get around things, you start picking stuff up. Maybe it's subconscious, maybe not. When I was a young person, I had this cousin that was not in church, and we were about the same age, and, and I would go over to his house, he would come over to my house, and, and we would we'd go fishing, we'd play outside, we just, just, we're cousins, we just had fun, right? But often if I spent too many days over there, if I was around him too often, my parents would say, you know what, it's going to be a while before you go back over there. Because if you come back, you start talking like he talks, you, you start behaving like he behaved, and he was very very rude, and he was very ugly to his parents, and, and he was very self-serving, and, and all these different things, and, and I didn't see it, I didn't notice it, I didn't pick up on it, but my parents were discerning enough, they were intuitive enough to see just a slight change. I wasn't involved in some great sin, I wasn't doing something egregious, I, I wasn't extremely disobedient to my parents, but they just noticed the little things. They just noticed that I picked up something little over here. I was around him for two days. Not two months, two days, and I would pick up these little things. You think that just a small flirtation with this world and this culture and sin and, and people who are not living right and worshiping at the same altar that you're worshiping at when you come to this church, you think just a small amount of time with them is okay. Oh, it's just, it's just a little time with them. Oh, it's just going out to eat. I know, I know there's youth on Friday night, but I'm, I'm going to go out to eat with them. I never get to see them. I never get to hang out with them. I know the young adults are doing something as a group, but you know what? I, I never get to see them. It's just one, just one event that I'll miss. It's not a big deal. It's just one Sunday that I'm working, you know, I'm, I'm working overtime because I need it. I, I need the money for my bills and my family. It's just, it's just one service. It's not, it's not that big a deal. I don't know what altar you're worshiping at, but I'm here to tell you it is a big deal. Whether it's one day or one year, it's a big deal. And if you, the more you keep getting around that, the more you'll be desensitized the more you'll be destitute of the truth, the more you'll have a corrupt mind, the more your conscience will be seared with the hot iron and you won't even recognize the difference in your own self. Hallelujah, I'm here to tell you that God has made a way for us. For us. He's made a way for us to come out of that place and I don't wanna go back to it. I don't wanna go back to it. I'm not trying to please this world. I'm not interested in worshiping at their altar. I'm not interested in listening to the same things they're listening to. I'm not interested in being at the same places that they're at. Hey, I know we got to be in this world, but we should not be of this world. If you're apostolic in this place, say hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Man, you can be seated. See, it's not just the buildings, the walls, the roofs, the little things. The world is, this culture is truly trying to destroy the foundation of morality. They're trying to destroy the foundations of the church. They're trying to package it one way when really it's an attempt to destroy the foundation of our lives. Don't think for one second that we have to bend to this world, to give in to its pressures, to compromise, or to seek less accountability. Today we need to stand stronger. We need to pray harder. We need to long after, seek after, desire more accountability in our lives. And we need to be more fixated on God and scripture than ever before. You see, the Jews didn't understand or maybe they didn't want to believe that this is the one who would save them. This man, Jesus Christ, he is the one that would bring them redemption. They didn't want to be persuaded that such a sacrifice was right there in front of their faces, that they clung to culture and traditions, allowing some petulant priests 
who were more concerned about losing their status in society than embracing the Messiah, that they turned the people against him. The atmosphere was thick with fear and concern and worry. There was a, a potential danger in being lumped into the group of those who followed and believed this man. It was a time so full of pressure that even Peter had trouble with trying to appease the world. We know how Peter responded during this time. Mark records in Mark chapter 14, verse 71, about Peter when the woman pressed him and said, I know who you are because you're talking like those people. I know who you are. I know you've been with that man. I can see it all over you. I hear it coming out of you. What an awesome testimony. What an incredible testimony that Peter had. But what does Mark say that he did? He was trying to please the crowd. He began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know this man. When you look around and you try to figure out this world and how you can fit in, forget about it. They already know who you are. They already know who we are. They already know from one interaction with them. From just a short time, Peter wasn't out there a very long time. He just walked up and started having conversation with these people. The first conversation, they knew who he was. If you think that you can hide being apostolic, you're dead wrong. You can't hide it. If you can think that you can push it under the rug and try to, try to figure out how to, how to be like them after one interaction, they know who you are. There's something different about you. There's something that emanates from us when we have the Holy Ghost living inside of us and leading and guiding us. They know there's something different. And we can't sit around and say, I want to be like you. We need to say, why don't you come to my church? Why don't you come where Jesus is? Why don't you come and say, oh, I know him. Let me tell you about him. Oh, he was ashamed then, but it wasn't very long when he said, listen, I'm not ashamed anymore, and I'm going to stand up with all of my friends here, and I'm going to tell you who he is. They're not drunk. This is Jesus. They're not drunk. This is the prophecy from Joel. Hallelujah. You need to understand that when you get around these people, they know exactly who you are, and that's a good thing. Amen. Man, we can't be guilty of, of this type of pressure in our lives and bowing into this, down to this pressure and giving into it and, and trying to take this pressure and, and mold who we are just to please this world. We can't be guilty of, of taking that and, and being guilty of transference. Transference is the action of transferring something or the redirection to a substitute. In other, way, in other words, you behave a particular way to others because of the way you've been treated. You treat me a certain way, so now I'm going to treat others that way. It's perhaps the origination of the saying, hurting people hurt people. It's the story of Joseph when he innocently proclaims his dreams to his brothers and they begin to despise him. Who do you think you are? Telling us these dreams. Oh, God talks to you in dreams. You're so special. God reveals these great big plans to you in dreams. God didn't give me a dream. Who do you think you are, Joseph? Your dream, your dream says that you're going to rule over us. Joseph, I live with you day in and day out. I know who you are. You're not a ruler. You're going to rule over me. I know the things about you that other people don't because we're siblings. Do you think you're better than us because you're going to rule over us? Maybe you're the favorite child. Maybe that was their mentality. You're the favorite child. And when all these things start coming down in Joseph's life, perhaps their response was out of bitterness. Perhaps their response was out of this heart that says, well, why didn't God give me a dream? Why didn't God tell me I was going to rule? I'm older than him. I've got a better education than him. I've got, a, I've got a better social standing than him. Why is God giving him all these things? Why is God telling him he's going to be a ruler? And so because that doesn't feel good to me, because that doesn't, that doesn't tell me that I'm valued, then you know what? Why don't I go ahead and why don't I hurt you? You know how the story goes with Joseph. It's also the story of David when as the youngest of seven boys, one day he's out tending the sheep, minding his own business. The next day, where is he? In front of his brothers, standing with the prophet. 
being anointed to be the next king over Israel. And the very next day, he's being scolded by his brothers at the battlefield. Where did that scolding come from? Having to sit there and wait on him till he came into the house. Having to sit there and see the prophet and hear the prophet say, no, you're not the chosen king of Israel. You didn't get that anointing oil poured over you. You sat there and you watched as all of the siblings got passed up and the youngest, probably the weakest, probably the one they picked on the most, the youngest, he gets the blessing, he gets the anointing. Now who was called to the battlefield? Now, now who's called when something happens, when the Philistines come to fight the Israels? Now they need strength, they need weapons, they need somebody who can fight, who goes down. All the brothers except David. Oh, they need us. I'm needed. I'm at the front lines of the battle. I get to go and defend. I get to fight for my nation. I get to go and I get to represent. And what happens? All of a sudden, here comes David. What's going through their mind? I would venture to say, it's not in scripture, but I would venture to say that day sitting in the house with the prophet has never left their mind. And that, that feeling of disgust and that feeling of hurt that I wasn't chosen. When he walks into where they are, who do you think you are? You can't, you can't fight a battle. Sure, go be anointed king, but you can't fight. You're not strong enough. You can't pick up a, a weapon. You can't pick up a spear. You can't pick up a shield. Who do you think you are? You think you can do. You're down here asking questions, thinking you can do the, some, the same thing that we're down here doing. And, and in fact, something that none of us can do is beat their champion. You think you can do that? In fact, where did David find them? Where was the army of Israel when David went down to the battlefield? They were hiding, weren't they? They were scared. They were too afraid. What help could you possibly be? You see how it, easy it is to be guilty of transference? If I'm too afraid of that enemy, what do you think you're doing here? If I'm too afraid of Goliath, who do you think you are coming down asking that you can, what, what reward you get, that, that you can fight this Goliath? I know there's not a single person here today who's never been hurt. We've all been hurt to some degree. Quite possibly we've looked out at who God wants to use when he's trying to use other people. And I pray we don't do this, but perhaps because we've been hurt and we see God trying to use somebody and we say, not that one. Who do they think they are? God didn't give me that talent. God didn't give me that ability. Who do they think they are? Who, who, not this man, not this woman to teach, to play, to lead. Why do we do this? Sometimes we do it because the world has done it to us. When we try to talk about church, what do they say? You go to church? Wait, wait you sing at church? Wait, you, le you lead at church? You teach, at, you teach kids at church? And perhaps there's this misunderstanding every Sunday, every Wednesday night. And there's this pressure that they put on you. Don't go to church on Wednesday night. We're going to go hang out, watch the game, go to a bar. It's a Friday night. Why are you going to youth? Come hang out with us. We're going to go do something fun. And they put this pressure on us as the church. And we get into this place and we start putting that pressure on other people in the church. We start transferring it. Maybe because we've been hurt. Maybe it's out of judgment. Because if we're not fulfilled in our own lives, we judge others who are trying to fulfill the will of God in their lives. It may not sound like a symphony they, the first time they sit behind the keys. It may not sound like a message that you would hear at general conference. It may be filled with mistakes and just small things that are right. But God told Zechariah in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, don't despise the day of small things. It might be just a 10-minute devotion, but it's filled with doctrine and truth. And I know that the future is in good hands. It may be just an easy song to a skilled veteran at the keys, but it's in, and it's in youth service, and it's not live streamed on a Sunday, but they're anointed, and the presence of God was ushered into the room, and lives were changed. We need to get behind the young ones. We need to support a new teacher. We need to encourage the new convert whose first exposure to an apostolic life was just three months ago, and we don't need to say not this one. We need to say yes this one. 
Yes, I know they just started playing, but yes, put them behind the keys again. Yes, I know they just started singing, but get them a microphone again. I know they just started teaching, but yeah, let's, let's let them teach again. I know they just started serving God, but yeah, let's let them back in. Let's let them keep serving God. Let's let them with that heart of worship and that burden get back into the service of the kingdom of God. We can't be guilty like the world, putting all this pressure internally. That's not how God designed it. God designed this church to be a body, to have unity. He said, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And that needs to be who we are as a church. Hallelujah. When you see some new face, get up here and start leading in worship. Let's get behind them. When you see them flub a word or two or miss the time to come in and miss the beat, that's okay. Get back up there and do it again. Yes, that one. Yes, that one. Yes, that one. Hallelujah. My Lord, how different would the early church have been if they adopted that behavior? How different would the beginning of our church life have been if that was a behavior of the disciples? You can be seated. And the birth of the church in the book of Acts, when you read chapter 8, the first person, the first person to go to Samaria was Philip. Philip went down to Samaria. He started preaching, started teaching Bible studies, started telling people about Jesus Christ. Guess what happened? People started believing. People started believing the message that he was preaching. Samaria was not a place that anybody wanted to visit either. It was a place of half-breeds, and they were outcasts. Nobody wanted to be around the Samaritans. They weren't full-blooded Jews, so they didn't follow the covenant of the law, and they were despised and avoided like the plague. But Philip went down, and people began to believe, and in this enthusiasm at the outset of the early church, because of that, quickly Peter and John joined him in this team approach to ministry, and this belief turned into baptisms, turned into Holy Ghost outpourings. But before chapter 8 concludes, every one of these men left Samaria. They went back to doing something different. They weren't called to disciple the Gentiles. They weren't called to pastor a church there in Samaria. They weren't called to let that conversion of the Gentiles happen in their ministry. God could have used them to have a long-standing church there, to be that minister to the Samaritans, to the Gentiles. God could have used Philip, Peter, or any other preacher to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, but he didn't. In fact, he used somebody that even the disciples and the apostles were afraid of. He called a man named Paul. He called a man named Paul, and he said, you're going to be the disciple to the Gentiles. You're going to be the one who brings this message to the Gentile nations. As they started witnessing Paul's ministry, Philip could have gotten upset. I started that church plant. I started teaching Bible studies there. And now God is going to call some of the man to lead a group of people who I won to the Lord. Why did God do that? Peter could have gotten upset thinking, Paul, you have no idea who Jesus is. I know who Jesus is. I was with him for three years. I was closer to him than anybody. Why in the world, Paul, are you getting all these accolades? Why do you get to write all these letters to the churches? Why, why do you get to spread the gospel on these missionary journeys? Why do you get to do all these things? I don't read one scripture where any of those men did that. You see, Jesus didn't choose just one person or one type of person. He chose not just 12 apostles, but there were disciples after disciples that followed him that he chose to go and to spread the good news of who he was. And they had different gifts, anointings, skills, abilities, roles, and contributions. He did this for a team effort to move things forward. And in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said, the whole body of the church is fitly joined together. When he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he said, The eye can't say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. When the world says, not this man, not this woman, we need to be confident 
and the power of Jesus Christ and stand strong knowing that he's got great things in store for the church. And we can't bring that in these four walls and start putting down those who God has called to do certain things. I know you taught them a Bible study, but somebody else is going to teach them take root. And somebody else is going to teach them Calvary integrations. And then they're going to their department. And some other leader is going to lead them. And that's okay because we're all here to play a part in the discipleship journey. And so we can't take this transference and say, not you. I'm better than you. I can do more things than you. I'm greater gifted than you. I have a better calling than you. We can't do that in the church. We need to link up arm in arm, and we need to say, I'm going to play my part, and I need you to play your part. We're going to stand on this wall today. We may have a hammer in our hand. Another day we may have a sword in our hand, but that's okay. One day we're going to build. Another day we're going to defend, but we're all going to do it together because I need you, and you need me, and we can't say not this one and not this one. We need to say, yeah, come on, there's plenty of work to do. Come on, there's a lot of work to be done around here. There's a lot of ground to plow. There's a lot of seed to sow. There's a lot of things to be done to move the kingdom forward. Amen. You can stand with me. So where, where do we go? Well, from the time of the words being spoken in John 18 until now. We went from an angry, bloodthirsty mob saying, not this man, to now the whole world is dependent on only this man. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 54, when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. In Acts chapter 17, as Paul is on Mars Hill and he's speaking to all those who had called him to, to, to talk about different things, he said, This Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. What purpose was this man here? What purpose are we dependent on only this man? Well, Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1 exactly why. We're dependent on this man. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us, us as the church, not an individual, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. And here it is, verse 7. In whom, whom is referring to Jesus Christ, this man. In this man we have redemption. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, he was the only way, truth, and the life. I don't know if you're here and, and, and maybe this is, this is you where you've been flirting too much with trying to please people in the world, or, or maybe you've not encountered this man in a personal relationship before. But I just want to tell somebody that this man, Jesus, in him we have redemption. Whether you need redemption from your sins to start living right, whether you need redemption from the mindset that's been all twisted, trying to, trying to be involved in this world too much and too close, this man is for you. What some may still reject and say, not this man, we have a promise that by only this man has salvation come to each one of us. Whatever camp you're in today, maybe you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, or maybe you just need to find an altar of repentance. These altars are open. I invite you tonight. I invite the church to come and get alone with God. Find a place where you can get focused Maybe a young person or a young adult who maybe you have slipped into that mode of, of trying to be like this world and 
Maybe it's early stages. Maybe it's subtle. And, and maybe you've been questioning, should I be doing this or not? It's time to, to get back to who you are and say, God, help me. I need that courage. I need that boldness. God, help me, Lord. I know there's something different about me. I know that they see it. Lord, help me, God, to have that boldness. Help me to have that courage in, in my, my situations that I find myself in work or school or wherever it is. Lord, whatever pursuits that I have, God, let, it, let me pursue you above everything. Whatever it is today, I invite you. If you need the Holy Ghost, I invite you to come. Let us pray with you. Church family, let's come. Let's pray together. Thank you so much for listening. Here at CPC, we are continuing to grow together. And if you would like to learn more,